welcome everyone to I Was a Teenage Fundamentalist. We're back again um, and we are back today with one of our stories. So we know that we, we do get some good feedback on these when we do them. I think people resonate. For us, we just, we have a chat and think, oh, I wonder if people will actually connect with it. And it seems like people do. You might remember a little while back, I spoke about me becoming a Baptocostal. So it was, it was definitely my transition out of the Pentecostal space finding a safe space to land, which for me was Baptist, slightly evangelical, Baptocostal-ish. Troy did the same. You might remember his reflections when I was speaking about his transition the same. He was a little bit ahead of me as he was transitioning out. To, but today we want to unpack a bit of that, but also stuff that was happening around that. So Troy, looking forward to it. Yeah, this is one of those therapy episodes, really, isn't it? And I, I got to say, I wasn't really looking forward to this one in in a sense because last time when we did all my unpacking, you know, leave great big AOG and everything, I, as you know, <laughs> I hit, I hit a wall, you know, an emotional wall kind of thing. So, mm. yeah, I'm, I I am a little bit apprehensive about this, but I don't think this is quite as traumatic as leaving great big AOG. So let's go wherever it sort of goes and hopefully I don't have to up my meds. <laughs> well, see, this is the advantage. I am a drinker. I still drink. I don't have a problem drinking. I don't think anyway. So I can go away, have a couple of drinks, but you don't drink. So you have to go away and meditate rather than medicate. Yeah, that's right. Because the Lord spoke to me and told me that it was of the devil. So, <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, it probably is. And that's possibly why I like it so much. Now, the year we're going to kick in, what what year was it that this, this story or the stories that surround this happened? It was 1995, and the wind was blowing through the gum trees and the sound of cicadas. Yeah, it was 1995, Brian. I, I, I like that little, little intro there. That was good. I, I've now got, I feel like I'm immersed in a place. I'm in the Australian bush. Cicadas are... are Clicking away. Um, so take That's right. away. And the man from Snowy River, the, the cult <laughs> from Old Regrets, about to about to bolt. No regrets. Kick it on. In thinking about this episode, the idea of anxiety was was front of mind, and I was thinking about something that I didn't really speak about too much in you know our great big AOG episodes, and that was I used to suffer from quite severe anxiety but I wouldn't have called it that and I didn't call it that. I used to say the devil was attacking me because it used to give me this bad feeling and it was interesting because I didn't have it all the time and I can remember driving to Great Big AOG or being in a car with someone else driving me to Great Big AOG. I didn't have a car when I was in Great Big AOG. Getting this, what I now realise is, is an anxiety feeling, this really tense anxiety feeling about halfway through the journey and then it would build right till I got there. And I look back now and think, shit, man, it's just, it was so bad for me that I was getting anxious just hitting the suburb next to where Great Big AOG was. And so I, I guess I wanted to sort of distress that, that the anxiety of being in that scene was very, very real, even though I wasn't self-aware enough or even you know knowledgeable enough about anxiety and these kinds of things to actually identify it. But it was there. It was 100% there. I was going to say, you know what it was like, though, at that time. I mean, mental health issues was something that 
people had to be in denial about. You had to hide them because it was talking about the devil. I I am similar, as you very well know, that I have suffered from acute anxiety issues. Probably when I reflect back from before I was even 10 years old, like I, I really exhibited signs. So for me, anxiety has been a really... I guess a problem, problematic thing throughout my life. Um, but I remember, you know, those times in in church, particularly in the Pentecostal scene, where people would say, "Oh, I was, you know, I was attacked by the devil last night. I couldn't move from my bed. You know, I felt like I was pinned down." It was a fucking panic attack. Like I had that a couple of times, and it was for me, it was bloody panic attacks, and I was absolutely you know pinned down by that, by the fear of I, I just couldn't move, and people would blame it on the devil. Yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's exactly right. It was it was that kind of thing. I mean, I, I don't think I ever came to full-blown panic attacks, but I certainly had anxiety that would shift my mood and, you know, cause me to, yeah. And, and, and I know that the church fed it. You know, I'm not saying church caused my anxiety disorder, but church certainly fed that. And in fairness to church as well, back in the 90s, even broader society, we didn't talk about it. You know, so it's not just that the church didn't talk about it. I would imagine now depression and anxiety, I could be wrong, but I would imagine now depression and anxiety are at least seen as more of an illness and less of a spiritual thing. Like even even with what happened recently with Brian Houston, with all that anxiety medication mixed with alcohol talk, yes, there was a degree of judgment, but there was also, I think, you didn't hear it was the devil. No one said, you know, oh, brother Brian has a, you know, demon of anxiety and he needs medication. No one said that. No, you'd, you'd hope there is more awareness. And I, I think you're right. Like it was a broader society acceptance of mental health issues too. And we're nowhere near there, um, but we're definitely in a better place than we were circa 1995 where the cicadas were rubbing their legs together and setting the scene for this story. That's exactly right. Yes, the cicadas were chirping. So as, as I said, when we left that you know, leaving great big AOG episode when we did that one, I stepped out into a charismatic Baptist church with my then girlfriend, who later went on to become my wife. I think that's important to sort of spell that out because we then journeyed. I haven't spoken so much about her, but I will say she was a pastor's daughter, a pastor's daughter from great big AOG. And she was raised in in the whole AOG thing, right? So in that sense, she was different to me that I'd sort of converted in, but she had been raised in it. And so we both had, you know, we talked about the, the trauma of leaving. And I was thinking about this when I was prepping for this episode as well, Brian, that I think people that have never been in it would listen to this and say, what do you mean the trauma of leaving? And, you know, we, we did spell that out in our Leaving Great Big AOG episode, that it is traumatic because it's a cult. And so you're dealing with cult trauma. You don't just leave. You have these prisons of the mind where God is involved and internal, eternal destinies are involved. And there's just so much there that's not, I don't know, it's just not real, but you believe it. And so when when you leave, there's a lot of trauma. And she and I both were carrying this trauma. She was carrying it from not just from her church experience, but also from her family experience, because her parents were very embedded and, you know, very much believing this stuff even still. And so for her to walk away from Great Big AOG was to some degree anyway, walk away from her family. 
you know, I mean, they certainly didn't shun and they certainly didn't shut her down or anything like that, but they weren't happy. And she, she had that, you know, level of stress on her and I had, you know, my own stress. And so I want to set the scene that there was a lot of cult trauma and there was a lot of anxiety. And so we were still Christians and we were still hardcore Christians. You're also undoubtedly carrying with you a fair package of guilt, which would have been laid on you. I mean, people would remember me being told that I would be a lesser version of myself when I left Great Big AOG. You get that guilt and also that questioning in the back of your mind, will I be a lesser version of me if I leave? I mean, obviously, several years on, no, I actually wasn't and probably strengthened me. But do you think you were carrying some guilt as well? I I don't know. I don't know if it was guilt as much as uncertainty, you know, like, is this God's will? I think I was fairly convinced that this was the right thing to do. I think I was fairly convinced because I had left the revival center. You know, I knew what it meant to leave a church and leave a movement. You know, it was, it was not something that I did flippantly, but it wasn't something that I did with a lot of guilt. No, because I wasn't leaving Christianity. You know, I I still had the belief, Brian, that I had these core doctrines, salvation by faith and, you know, Trinity and know who God, you know, you have all those evangelical beliefs and I was holding on to those, every single one of them. Okay. So still, still absolutely a Christian to the core, but perhaps you'd put, were pushing away from Pentecostalism and later to be, you know, pushing away from fundamentalism. Would you, would you say that? Oh yeah, well, I was definitely on a journey out, but I didn't know how far I was actually going to go. But it was, I was still totally Christian. I remember towards the end of my time, actually, I'd just left Great Big AOG and I was you know, going to this Baptocostal church and remembering that I was still connected to the AOG Bible College because I had to finish. Now, I won't harp on about that too much. I'd rather focus on what was happening outside. But do you remember my friend who took off with my ex-girlfriend and then they got married and all that kind of thing. He was the guy that had actually been in the revival center and had brought me into great big AOG, etc. I, I called him because even though we were at odds with each other, we'd still we still had this sort of connection and it was still this sort of discipleship thing and this friendship thing. And even though I was quite angry at him for what he'd done and he was, you know, demonizing me, I rang him one day and I was talking to him about what I'd sort of found out about Pentecostalism because I was journeying away from tongues and journeying away from this end times nonsense and journeying away from, you know, words of wisdom, words of prophecy. Basically, I was journeying away from all the Pentecostal distinctives, really, and becoming just more a sort of a a, a moderate evangelical and, you know, reading the Philip Yancey books and, you know, because he's our friend. I said to him, to this guy, I don't remember what we called him in the podcast, but I I said to him, I said, I didn't sign up for this. What it all has become is not what you led me into all these years ago. Those years ago, you told me ABCD, and that's what I signed up for. But I didn't sign up for all this. I didn't sign up for all this, you know, country town AOG experiences and, you know, great big AOG and youth pastors crushing me and, you know, all that kind of stuff and pastors taking me for car rides and asking me, did you stick it in this girl? And, you know, all that kind of shit that had happened, you know, elders doing this and and all the, the doctrinal stuff as well, all this other stuff, you know, I said to him, I said, that's not what I signed up for. When you brought me into Pentecostalism, it was X 
and now it's X plus all these other things. And I don't believe them anymore. He didn't know how to take it. You know, this is even on the phone. And, and he said to me, I remember he said, wow, you're really not coming back, are you? And I said, nah, man, I'm not. Well, let, let's remember at this time too. I mean, there was all that doctrinal stuff. There was the the personal experience you'd had around, um, you know, entering the ministry and stuff like that. But also it was Toronto blessing around this time. So there was a, an extra level of nuttiness, which had flipped a lot of things on its head as well. We talked about this before, that it's all a, a blur. It's interesting that when it comes to the great big AOG stuff, it's all seared in my mind and I can tell you the order that it happened in. But once we get into this, and, and you said this, I think when you were doing your episode, it sort of all blurs together. And so this is going to be out of order, out of sequence. And, and you know, I'm going to mix characters up and I'm, you know, but like we said before, I don't know if this is how it all happened, but it's entirely true. So, you know, my heart, my experience, that that scene as a, as a memoir rather than a biography, to quote Philip Yancey, our friend, um, <laughs> I, I, I really, I still think it's true, even if I get things wrong. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a thematic analysis, really. So, and that's that's you know the, the the people and places may have been changed to protect those not so innocent. Yeah, and and aren't you academic? It's a thematic analysis. Yeah, you know, it's uh, technically known as wank words. I've got uh, <laughs> I've got a glossary of wank words, which I am happy to post to the group, and they get me through most days and make me look like I know what I'm talking about. I was in a meeting this week, Brian, and someone was talking about co-design, and I was thinking, oh, look, there's Brian. Brian talks about co-design. So we're at we've joined this Baptocostal church. The minister is taking us, you know, Wednesday nights into his house with his wife and um, having a little home group. For those of you that don't know what all this means, it's nothing sexual. He was taking us into his house and running a Bible study with he and his wife, and they they were lovely to us and they were really good. And we were going once a week to great big baptocostal or whatever we called it and you know and that was cool and it wasn't very toronto-ish etc but i needed a job so the cool thing man was i got a job at blockbuster video wow what a difference <laughs> and for those who are under 25 these were stores that you used to go into and you would rent a video cassette or a DVD, if you were... Yeah, well, um, this, no, this, in these days, it was still video cassettes. <laughs> this is VHS, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, we used to suffer that if, and if, 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 you know, the five copies were out, you couldn't watch the movie that you wanted. It wasn't on demand. It was on hope, really. <laughs> and then you'd go up and say, excuse me, have you got something? And they go, yeah, it's in the rewinder. And then they'd give it to you. Do you remember? <laughs> oh, yeah, the old Rwanda. This and and this is the the tragedy of this current generation. Her, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a little bit of a, a rampage of of Grandpa Brian. Um, is kids go? Oh, fuck! We've used up all our four Netflix screens on our on our membership, and I go, well, just wait until one of them frees up. We lived in the day where you had to wait maybe seven days to get a copy of that movie you wanted to watch. They've, they don't They don't know how hard it was. No, and we had to walk to the video store, didn't we, Troy? That's right. Yeah, we did. Actually, no, by then I had a car. But, yeah, uh, 1983, damn right, I had to ride my bike mm. to get my copy of The Omen, which was going to drive me to Pentecostalism. The <laughs> story of that. Anyway, so, yeah, I was a blockbuster video. And, you know, you've got to remember, that's that's a statement that I am now going to work at 
you know, this temple to secular entertainment. I was journeying out. And and I remember going into Blockbuster Video and seeing them and, you know, you used to walk in and they go, hi, how are you going? As you'd walk in and you're like, what, do you know me? No, you know, and this was this new level of customer service kind of thing that we weren't used to back then. Now they say hi to you everywhere, but they didn't back back in those days. I, I applied for the job and I got it and I just loved it. I loved Blockbuster. It's one of the best jobs that I that I've ever had. It was so much fun because everybody that comes into that store is in a good mood because they're going to get a movie. The customers were great and the the staff were always in a really good mood, you know. It was just a really good place to be. I, I remember how much you loved that job. Uh, and I remember I'd go in the store and you were happy. Um, it wasn't my local store, so I'd just pop in if I was driving past. But I, I remember. I remember you were absolutely stoked. And you were pretty stoked too that Blockbuster didn't do porn. I was on Yes, right. I remember. So you were still, still a hardcore Christian, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're still a Christian because I remember you going, oh, no, that's really good, you know, because I think you were trying to convince yourself on the values of Blockbuster Video not being completely well, evil. Well, can I tell you, we did do – Blockbuster did have some sort of soft porn, right? I remember this one called The Red Shoe Diaries was this series, right? And, and on the back cover was actually a pair of boobs. And I used to go around and just occasionally flick the back cover around and have a look and then put it back, you know, and like, oh, you shouldn't be doing that. And then I go like, you know, and I remember talking to a friend of mine and saying, her, her boobs are a bit weird. Do you think her boobs are a bit weird? And then he'd turn around and go, no. And I go, yeah, I, I, maybe. And I, I just, any chance I got, because right, the internet wasn't as as accessible as it was. So I, I, I borrowed those movies and took them home and did a sneaky watch. Loved them. <laughs> So you were you were journeying out. This was this was where your soul was departing your body. (laughs) That's exactly right. So listen to this though, right? So my ex-wife, who's then my girlfriend, right? So let's let's just call her my girlfriend from this point forward, knowing that I will eventually marry her. She says to me, We've got to have more holiness in our life. Because she's getting it from her parents, you know, and and she's also got her own guilt, right? So I think when you talk about that guilt, she was she was dealing with the guilt. Whereas I wasn't. I was just like, ah, oh, freedom. And I really liked the people that I was working with. None of them were Christians. They were all just young people from the area. And they were just good people, good kids, you know, university, all that kind of stuff, and un- university age and just just good people, lots of fun. And we'd started hanging out outside of work. <gasps> worldly friends brian i've got worldly friends and of course you know building a relationship to reach them brother but really i was just enjoying hanging out with people wearing my vest and i did i did mm-hmm. not give a shit i just was happy to be there with them you could you wear your vest but you were sans tie i mean you wouldn't have had the dappy duck tie oh certainly not no 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 it was a, it was a, it was a leather vest that i would wear with a t-shirt you know that whole bit wow. very very 90s she comes to me one day and says, you know, we're, we've got to be more grasping of our holiness. And I want to sort of stress here that she wanted out, 100% she wanted out. And that's why she connected to me because she saw that I wasn't going to last and, and out we were going. And remember when I said to her, we're leaving, she's like, okay. But at the same time, she was so tormented. And I think her trauma was far worse than mine. Maybe not. Maybe it was just she expressed it differently, but it was quite severe. So she comes to me one day, I'm working at Blockbuster Video, watching all these amazing movies. You know, we're talking, I, I can't remember the years, right? I'm going to show that I'm completely out of line here in terms of the, the order of things. But it was The Mask, Lion King, Aladdin, Pulp Fiction, all these kind of, you know, and it was just bombarded with 
Reality Bites was another one. Just bombarded with pop culture at the time that I was just soaking in it and I needed to. And so she comes to me one day and she says, you know, I really feel that we need to, you know, re-embrace our holiness, blah, blah, blah. Let's not watch any movies that are M rating and above. Dear Lord. Indeed. And I was like, okay. So here I am at Blockbuster Video. <laughs> I'm, I'm surrounded by all this really good quality entertainment. Wow, what a difference. And, you know, I'm in my Blockbuster shirt and I'm not allowed to watch any fucking thing except Mighty Fucking Ducks and all this fucking PG rated shit. And uh, so we're not watching it. And I can remember, I mean, she was so, and I don't say this to diss her, this is the way that she was raised, right? She was conditioned like this. She didn't want to watch Schindler's List because of the nude scenes. Yeah, that that's really interesting. I, I remember, and I can't remember if I've told this story, but I, I remember when Schindler's List came out that I took a friend from Great Big AOG who was female and absolutely she she was really uncomfortable with those nude scenes. Don't worry about everyone getting shot in it. Yeah, exactly. Don't worry about the fact that they're being rounded up and gassed. You're upset that there's boozies and pubic hair. Yeah, it, it was really strange. And I, and I remember that. And we sat down afterwards and I could see the discomfort. I didn't get it. I didn't get it at the time because I wasn't raised with that, you know, worrying about anything like that. So it, it was still quite strange. But, yeah, I mean, so I'm guessing. Yeah, it wasn't the Red Shoe Diaries. Right? Oh, I was just going to say, I'm guessing Red Shoe Diaries was, was <laughs> off was, the table. That was a little bit more contextual. <laughs> So, yeah, so, I mean, that, that was the kind of way that she was raised, that, you know, it's something as powerful as Schindler's List and she's getting hung up on the, on the nudity. I think it was Tony Campolo that said, you know, there are 40,000 children starving to death a day and you don't give a shit. And then he says, and you're more, more upset about the fact that I just said shit than the fact that there are 40,000 children starving to death. So even within the Christian scene, there was still this vibe, you know, that, come on, you're, you're, you're a bit backwards here. So, yeah, I mean, that's that's how severe it was. So, you know, we're missing out on all this stuff. And it was probably about three or four months that we didn't, you know, and I'm sitting there and these movies would come in and just look brilliant, you know. It was some sort of super sci-fi coolness movie, you know. I remember we went and saw Species. Do you remember Species, which was that sci-fi? And it was basically a sci-fi booby film. It was like every chance she got. <laughs> and I can remember we went to see the movie. This is before the rule. And I remember we went and saw the movie and I'm sitting there and the woman takes off her top. And it was like coolness. And and then my my girlfriend sits next to me, and no joke, she sits there and she leans over and whispers in me and she goes, put your eyes down, put your eyes down right now, like through her gritted teeth like this. And I'm just like, what, what? And I'm putting my head, it's, I mean, I've got like, you know, IMAX size boobies in my face. I haven't had sex in five years or whatever it's been. And she's screaming at me to, oh. yeah, that's what it was like. I I can relate. This was your girlfriend at the time. A, a mate and I were going to see that Bruce Willis movie, The Last Boy Scout. And I remember us planning to go see it. And your girlfriend at the time had a word to me and the friend going to see it. So I, I just don't think that that's a good movie for Christians to go and see. I don't think it's a good example and a good witness. So I, I know exactly how you felt at this time and she wasn't even my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, this was coming into my personal life is I guess what I'm trying to say. You know, it wasn't just 
check out at church on a Sunday and then go home and do, you know, be who you really are. All of a sudden, I was being policed in my personal life. So anyway, we did this whole, you know, not allowed to watch movies thing and it just got too much. And so one day I I got really upset with her and I said, no, we're stopping this. No more. We are we are going to watch M-rated movies if we, and above if we want to. The end. And you know what she said? What's that? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was as if she was being pushed, you know, and this is in fairness to her, right? I, I, this is not about dissing her. She was a victim of this. She was being pushed from one end and she was pushing up against me in the hope that I would say no. And then on we'd go. But she, it was like she was testing me. And as soon as I'd say, okay, she's like, okay, well, there's the boundary then. But as soon as I push back, she's like, okay. And that was that. Yeah. Uh, and, and there is a lot of pressure. I mean, I remember the pressure I put on myself around movies. I remember there was a group of us from Great Big AOG that went and saw Wayne's World. And as you know, in Wayne's World, there's a lot of innuendo, you know, cream of some young guys come, all that sort of stuff in there. And I just wanted to laugh, but I felt that I couldn't laugh because that would show that, A, I got it, uh, and B, and it was a bad witness to those because there was younger kids in the group with us and, you know, you had to set an example, you were a youth group leader. I mean, there was something wrong, obviously, with us taking (laughs) half the youth group to go see Wayne's World. But that pressure that you put on yourself because you know that eyes are looking and ears are listening. Well, see, you were obviously out to corrupt people because you gave me a pirated copy of Wayne's World and I loved it too. I thought it was just great. It was one of the funniest movies because, you know, I grew up a portion of my upbringing. My father was in the military, so I grew up in America. So I could totally relate to this sort of suburban US kind of upbringing. And I, I loved that movie. It was dumb and silly and shallow and but just hilarious. And, the you know, all the music references and it was great. Yeah, I was subversive. I know. I was, I was living a lie. Yeah, well, see, that, that leads me into the whole idea of, you know, secular music and, you know, this is the mid nineties. So triple J is just really starting to pump this whole, you know, Australian music scene, you know, the silver chair, there was super Jesus. There was regurgitator, regurgitator, Bernard Fanger, you know, all this. um, And, and who was the ones that did uh, Glockenpop? Sorry, I'm, I'm getting old, but just amazing. It'll come to me in a minute and I'll say, yeah, that was them. Just amazing music. And not to mention the stuff that's coming from overseas as well. So, you know, we're sort of at the the mid-stage of Nirvana and, and all that. So I started getting into all that. And, of course, Spider-Bait. Spider-Bait, that was the band, yes. I mean, that was one of my favourite. And I was getting into the Foo Fighters. I mean, maybe that was a bit later on, maybe Foo Fighters and Green Day. You know, it was just huge. And, then, you know, that was where I was turning up to, to your events when you were still in Great Big AOG and saying, um, you know, have you heard the new Oasis album? So I am starting to, more than starting to, I am walking away from a lot of the boundaries that Pentecostalism have put on us and I am choosing my own, my own boundaries and especially around music and entertainment and, you know, my, my girlfriend's going along with it. Someone from the Salvation Army reached out to me and said, look, we've heard about your preaching at the Toronto meetings in town. We've got a youth camp for all the kids from the city. Could you come along and be the speaker? And I was like, what? Did you have to um, bring your own tambourine and triangle? 
I had to unbaptize myself before I got there because they're not into <laughs> baptism. Of course. But, but they were here. Here I was. You know, this was the equivalent of the Salvos version of a Youth Alive camp, and here I am, the speaker. My my ministry was taking off, even though I'd left the you know the AOG and and you know I'm listening to to secular music and sneaky look at the back of Red Shoe Diaries video cover and everything. My ministry is actually taking off. And so that was a full Toronto affair though, Brian, you're not going to like that. I went there and did the whole Toronto thing and the kids were all laughing and falling down. And I was like anointed with the Holy Spirit and I was slapping them and they were falling down and laughing. And it was just, I'd arrived. This, this is why we weren't that close during yes. this time. Oh, totally, because I would have laid hands on you and... Yeah, and I would have laid fists on you. I, I just, I, I had such a repulsion, as, as we've spoken about before, about the Toronto stuff. So, I, but I, I'm interested, the Salvos, actually, I didn't realise the Salvos were into the whole Toronto thing. Some of them were, some of them weren't. So, you know, I went on this camp and, and it happened. And, and I don't know how comfortable they were that, that this was actually breaking out on there camp but the guy who brought me in was was into it and so off off it went people are all yeah these kids are all having these experiences and and I was responsible <laughs> now looking back whoops so so that was that was happening the pastor of the great big baptocostal church who I was you know we were going to his place for this bible study he was a bit concerned for me because I think he could see that this ministry thing was happening, yet I was really badly damaged and really badly hurt. In fairness to him, he tried to counsel me against being too involved in ministry. He was like, just sit for a while, you know. But I think I've told you this before, that I didn't like being told to just sit because that's what they said to me at Great Big AOG. I actually reacted to that because it was like, you're not controlling me. And I think in fairness to me, because of the control that I'd been under, what this guy was maybe trying to do was not the way that I was taking it because of where I'd come from. And so I sort of pushed back on him with that. And and he then got a little bit heavy handed and said, well, if you're going to be under my ministry, you really need to follow what I say. And fuck, for me, that was just like, well, good luck with that, bud, kind of thing. And I just pushed back and said, no. But he didn't then eject me, but there was a tension there. So all of a sudden, I, not all of a sudden, but at that point, I wasn't being so connected to him, even though we kept going to this thing, it kept going to this Bible study. But I felt I needed to, because that was like, that's what you did. You know, you were, you were part of a church and you submitted at least in part to the leadership and, and all that. But then he got a call to another to a church in another city. So that all ended. You know, he said to us one night, look, I'm really sorry, but this has to end because I've taken a position in another church in another city. I'm leaving and da-da-da-da-da. And he was becoming a senior pastor. It was a career move, you know, career Christian move. And so that was that. Wow. So we were still attending the Baptocostal Church on a Sunday evening, which was their youth service. We we started this home group. I think I mentioned that in my other story where we had this home group made up of a few refugees from Great Big AOG, a few disgruntled people from Bible college were coming along, probably about six of us, including my, oh, maybe a few more, 
including myself and my girlfriend, um, we started studying Galatians and we were right into, you know, into that. And we were, it was all about freedom and freedom in Christ. And, and that was quite freeing as well, of course. And then I had this idea of let's turn this into a church plant. Let's, of course let's you make did. Yeah, that's exactly right. Because, you know, I'm not going to be told what to do. I'm going to run my own show. And, and I think a lot of that, Brian, being really upfront and honest was by being in charge, I couldn't be hurt. If I was not submitting to slightly controlling Baptist or super controlling AOG, but I was the, I was in charge, if I was going to be the apostle, I'm not going to be controlled. I'm not going to be hurt by people. And so I think that was a big part of why I wanted to plant a church. Part of that was about wanting to bring something new and something that was more relevant to us and being more authentic and all that. Yes, that was definitely part of it. But I think a big motivation for me was I didn't want to be controlled by anyone. And so I'll run my own show. Thank you very much. Yeah. And look, I think that's a reasonably normal sort of reaction. And I think we do. I mean, it's not just in a church context. We do it in many parts of our life. We want to be our own boss to really stave off some of that control. So completely understand it, particularly the context you just come out of. But it goes against everything that these sort of denominations believe all about having a covering and being under submission and being accountable and and all that kind of talk, which is, you know, what we've seen recently with the whole Hillsong thing was this sort of breakaway and accountable to no one and, you know, false accountabilities. And there, there is some wisdom in that too. But I, yeah, I, I didn't want to be a part of that. So I started reaching out to different denominations I, I could tell that the Baptist probably wasn't where I was going to want to be. Definitely didn't want to go Pentecostal. I was allergic to everything Pentecostal. I didn't want to know. I didn't want to raise my hands. I didn't want to sing in tongues. I was done with it all. Um, I would go to prayer meetings sometimes and people would pray in tongues and I'd just sit there and think, oh, well, whatever. It doesn't hurt anyone, I guess. But, I, but you know, I wasn't doing it anymore. And I reached out to someone in the Churches of Christ, to their church planting person, and they were wide open to the idea of this young person coming in and planting some sort of hip swinging new postmodern church. So I started a relationship with the minister, a professional relationship, let's make that clear, started a professional relationship with the idea of turning my little home group into a church plant. But we'll come back to that another time because that's, you know, at this stage it was just conversations and he was cool. And he was very postmodern and very Generation X and all that kind of talk. And it was it was cool and it was going to go somewhere and it did, but we'll come back to it. But I can remember in my home group one day, there was a guy who I'll call R who came along and he was a bit sort of left of center. He was a bit sort of weird. And, and he was a great big AOG refugee who I had reached out to and brought into our home group and, you know, what's going to become our church. And he wasn't as ministry driven as the rest of us because we were all sort of all, you know, Bible college kind of people and stuff. And he wasn't as ministry driven and he wanted to go into business and that's what he wanted to do. And so we sort of saw that as mm, rich young ruler kind of stuff, maybe a little bit of that. But at the same time, you know, you've got to have a job, you've got to work. So he got a job working for Optus Vision. Do you remember when Foxtel first came out, Optus had their own version 
Yes, yes, I do, and I remember this guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so he was he wasn't quite there, and I think mental health issues and stuff like that. But he was working for Optus Vision, and he was it was totally commission based. So he was door knocking, trying to get people to sign up for Optus Vision. And I pulled him aside and had a chat with him and said, "Dude, this isn't the way to get into business." You know, you, you, he was just talking, which is bizarre. The way he was talking about it, he was going to be, you know, door knocking his way to, you know, being the CEO. And, and and I could see this was just bullshit. So I pulled him aside and had a chat with him about it. He got really offended, really offended that, you know, I was telling him, and he thought I was telling him, you can't have a job, you can't be in business. And it's like, no, no, that's not what I'm saying. And he left the the, the group, right? And we only had six people or whatever. And also, you know, that's a whatever 30% drop or whatever it was. And And I was just like, and that was my first, well, not my first taste because I'd done the whole country town AOG thing, but it was like, wow. And, and I really reflected on that. And I was thinking, was part of it that I was telling him that he needs to be more ministry, rich, young ruler thing? Perhaps. And he may have sensed that and that's what he got offended by. But really at the same time, he was being exploited by this company that was basically getting him to do all this promotion work for free and only paying him when it paid off. So it was this... It was this combination of both, Brian, you know, that on the one hand, it's like, come on, man, be more for Jesus. Um, and on the other hand, it was, and don't be exploited. Yeah, it's, it's interesting. And, and that guy I've I've had a bit to do with over the years and probably the last time I saw him was maybe two years ago. And he was still very driven like that. He, I remember sitting at the same table as him in a wedding probably 10 years, 12 years ago now. And, you know, everyone's having a good time. And he leaned over and he said, so what's your life plan? I said, what? He goes, what's your life plan? Like, have you got a plan going? And and long story short, it almost sounded like an Amway pitch. And he wanted to hear about what aspirations I had for my career, where it was taking me. I mean, this, this guy was still selling photocopiers or something at that time. So he was still trying in that same space. So it was interesting that he kept going with that. Yeah, I, I think I had a more of a realistic picture, like, you know, let's go to uni and or, or whatever, but not just door knocking for Optus Vision, for, for God's sake. You know, later on, and I'll, I'll go more into this later on with the church plant thing, but it actually got, you know, it got sizable, not not huge, not by any stretch, but more in a home groupy house church kind of way. We had, you know, Kurong staff members hearing about what we're doing and coming and joining. I was bringing people in from outside that were, you know, we were getting people shaved and, you know, the whole bit, it was, it was, it was growing and it was, you know, it was what it was, but that, but that was later on. At the same time though, Brian, I was still doing my revival center research. You know, I was still trying to look at, you know, where had they come from? Because that, that had a massive impact on me. And as I was unpacking that, I was unpacking Pentecostal history and looking at, you know, okay, where did the Revival Centre came from? They came from the Christian Revival Crusade. Where did the Christian Revival Crusade come from? They came from the AOG. Where did the AOG come from? And I actually started doing my own research and my own study into the history of Pentecostalism. And I think I was sort of going back looking for something that was a little bit more pure. And I knew that the answer wasn't in Pentecostalism. So I was going back further. And so I was researching, you know, the Methodists and the Congregationalists and the Presbyterians. And that's when, you know, we were reading Galatians and studying Galatians as a, as a, as a home group or as a little mini church. And so I started looking into Luther and started reading about the Reformation. And, and it just seemed that the, the, the further I went back looking for the more pure form of Christianity, 
the more I would go back and go, this is still messed up. Oh, let's go back further. This is still messed up. You know, let's go back. And no matter how far I would go back into church history, I wasn't finding this pure form of Christianity in church. And so you can hear that I am deconstructing, but I didn't call it that. I was actually on a search for truth, you know, and I wanted to find what kind of Christianity is the Christianity that I should be a part of and representing and, you know, what part, what kind of Christianity does does God want me to be a part of? So it wasn't like I was running off and wanting to become a Lutheran or become a, an Eastern Orthodox or become a Catholic or anything like that, but I was still very much an evangelical, but I was exploring church history and wanting to know, you know, what is true. And in that, I was just so far from Pentecostalism now. I was just so far. And I couldn't have conversations with people like you or, or you know, or, or my, my girlfriend's parents about this kind of stuff because you guys had no idea what, no. what I was reading and what I was into and what I was discovering. I was just so far removed. So there was no going back. And I think that's when I rang that friend and said, this isn't what I signed up for. You know, it was around that time as well. So, so there I was. I was working at Blockbuster. I was listening to secular music and right into the whole Triple J thing. I was watching a lot of movies. Of course, Star Trek The Next Generation and Deep Space Nine and all that because, you know, I'm a real sci-fi head. That was all out and, and huge. And I'm going to the midnight premiere of the new Star Trek movie. And, and that's what's taking up my time now, you know, and, and grabbing the grabbing videos and watching them at home with my girlfriend and, you know, making out and nearly having sex, but we didn't. No longer going to that home group at the Baptist church. Now we're doing it ourselves. And then I think we kind of stopped going to the great big Baptocostal church too, because there was still a little bit of Shanda Baba, see Bakala, hand raising. And it just wasn't for me anymore. I know I needed something more. And as I was, or something different, and as I was hanging out with this minister, this church planting minister, he was introducing me to the evangelical left. So I was hearing about things like the God Squad, and I was hearing about food programs for, for people and trade wins coffee and all that sort of, you know, evangelical lefty stuff, talking about the poor. And not just in a way of we're going to get him saved, but actually justice for the poor and all that stuff that you'd resonate with. And that was being introduced to all this. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? It's um, but uh, I just want to slightly pick up on something you said a minute or so ago, just around that quest to look for the pure examples of Christianity. You know, that pure that stuff still sits there and has that sort of influence. Not that we're looking for a purest Christianity, but. Look what our reflection conversation was after the ANSI interview. It was, what do we do with these people that are good? What do we do with these moderate evangelicals or even, you know, progressive evangelicals, progressive left? What do we do with that? Are these guys, you know, the real deal? Are we offended by it? All that sort of stuff. I mean, it's, it's stuff that still sort of takes up our energy and our mind in some sort of way. Not, as I said, not that we're looking at it going, is this a path we want to follow? But going, is this one of the genuine paths? So nearly 30 years on, that stuff is still having an impact in our lives. Yeah, we're still truth seekers, I think. And 
we're still, you know, there's still a little bit of black and whiteness maybe, you know, is this okay? I mean, really, if we were really tolerant and everything, I don't know if we'd even ask that question, would we? We'd just be, well, that's him. Good luck. Yeah, totally. And sometimes we do think like that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Sometimes we get a bit sidetracked and chase the rabbits down the hole because I think, um, you know, that that's a bit of old stuff that sort of pokes its head up. But it's, yeah, we are. We're still truth seekers. And as, as Yancey said, bridge builders, we, we would like to identify as. Yeah, for sure. So, mate, you know, I, I can't remember at what point it was, but I had a, I remember I had a big fight with an AOG pastor he tried to get me into his suburban church and he was you know befriending me and i realized looking back now a lot of his friendship was actually more sort of functional because he wanted to bring me in and make him make me a youth pastor or something in his church i don't know but he was telling me all about submission and covering and i need to stay within the aog and stay within the covering and i said i remember saying to him i said we we actually got heated and i said what are you talking about your own movement was built because people left other movements believing that this is what God wanted for them. You know, you, you can't tell me that I have to stay when your own movement was based on a group of people that left. And and he didn't know how to take that, you know, and, and we're yelling at each other, literally yelling at each other. And our his wife, my girlfriend, are both just sitting there going, and, and that was the end of that friendship. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, power tripping, isn't it? It is. You've got, to, you've got to have a covering. You've got to have a covering. Yeah, right. Whatever. So, so man, that, that was it. I, I think, you know, we'll put a, put a pin in that for, for, this, for this episode, but it, it was positive. You know, I was in a positive place. I was still suffering a lot of that trauma. I won't pretend that I wasn't. And there was still anxiety. And, and I think depression was also hanging around the fringes of, of my life. But I was l- enjoying my job. I was enjoying you know, just catching up on all that pop culture that I'd missed out on, you know, I missed out on the first half of the nineties, you know, music wise and movie wise and everything. And I was just catching up and, and it was just, it was just really nice, you know, and the idea of planting a church and, you know, we're going to do this whole really cool, it was the, the beginning of the emerging church kind of stuff is what it was, but it was still very evangelical. It wasn't quite emerging church. Yeah, I was, I was really positive. I was really optimistic. The future was bright. You know, the, the Pentecostals were behind me. My girlfriend was still putting pressure on me to be something that I didn't want to be anymore. But it seemed that if I would finally stand up and push back against her, she'd go, okay. I won't pretend that that didn't bring its own baggage. And, and I think there's, a, there's an episode in that when we start talking about marriage and divorce, about how that all sort of played out. But in fairness to her, I want to tell my story, of which she's a part, not tell her stories, if that makes sense. Because, you know, we're, we're, we're different people and, you know, this isn't her podcast. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Different, different angles. And, you know, I think there's, there's certainly a lot that we didn't talk about today from around that time um, that we'll definitely pick up in another episode. And there were bits that you and I crossed over at this time, you know, particularly around the cult stuff that we were looking into and we are looking to Mormonism and J-dubs and having a look at their history and there was a lot more cult stuff which was really ramping up in your life particularly which was leveraged against the revival centres because at this time you saw revival centres as a cult and certainly not Great Big AOG. 
that came later. But really, I think that deserves an episode of itself because there's a lot of interesting stories and a lot of stuff that we, we got um, involved in at that time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I spent thousands of dollars on books and research and all that around cults and I was going to be a cult buster. I, d- I do remember that. And you did have a, a brief foray into that. I did, yes. But we can talk about that in another episode. We can. But for now, thank you, people. Um, thank you for listening, as always. Thank you for sharing the pod. There's a lot more people sharing the pod at, at the moment of what we're seeing. We're seeing certainly a listenership lift even further. And, um, you know, those who follow us on socials, you'll see that there has been some amazing charting that we've had uh, across the globe, really. So it's been crazy that people are interested in what we talk about, but it's so heartening to to know that people are coming along on the journey with us. Yeah, we've, we've been in top, we were in the top 10 in the religion category, you know, religion and spirituality category. There's, there's a few different categories, you know, sometimes even Christianity. Um, and we've been top 10 in some of those categories in Australia, in the US, in the UK, in Ireland, Thailand, yeah. which was a good one. Yeah, bizarre. Yeah, we've we've topped the charts in religion in New Zealand, in Thailand, in Australia. I think it's like Norway, Belgium, Sweden. We've you know hit number one in those countries, and certainly top ten in the US, UK. You know, across a few European countries in Ireland. It's it's yeah, it's been bizarre. It has been absolutely bizarre to to know that one year on, you know, we're just over a year old, that um it's it's so many people coming along the journey with us. So again, thank you. Yeah, happy birthday, trauma stories. <laughs> yes, yes, happy birthday. All right, mate. Well, I will see you next week. See you then. Ciao.